Well, hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Overready. This is Stephen Robles, and we're welcoming back a very special guest who was on the show pretty early on, and we're so glad to have him back, Brother Neil Shenvey. Thanks for being on the show again. My pleasure. And this week, we're all uh, we're all holed up around the country. Brother Seth, you still in quarantine out in California? Man, living my best life. <laughs> and uh, we're we're quickly approaching the quarantine over here in, uh, in Florida. But today we're talking about some homeschooling tips. And uh, some of us, Brother Neil and myself, uh, we're actually both homeschooling parents. And now everyone's becoming a homeschooling parent by necessity. So uh, yeah, we want to talk a little bit about that. And so, Brother Neil, maybe you can give us a little background into how your family came to homeschooling, if you were homeschooled, maybe when you were growing up, and what led you into it with your children? Oh, no. So I was public schooled uh, K through 12. You know, my entire life, we had a great public school system uh, in Delaware, where I grew up. And uh, and I never considered it ever. Uh, My wife was born abroad, went to school in Cyprus uh, with a few furloughs in America. She was a missionary kid. But when we got married, we kind of even didn't know what people did with kids. We kind of, when we were married for like a year or two, we looked at each other. We thought, are we going to have kids? What are we going to do with the kids when we're working? Because we were both PhD programs in Berkeley. And we were like, what do people do? Do they have nannies or something? And well, we'll think about that later. So we had no idea how we'd handle education or childcare. And then when we moved to New Haven, Connecticut for her medical school, we met some families at our church that were homeschooling their kids. There's sort of a co-op through our church. And we were blown away by the kids' maturity, intelligence. Just they were they were almost like little adults in terms of how they could interact with other people and how they got along with their parents so well too. So we were impressed with that, but still never thought much about it until we moved then to Durham about 10 years ago. And we had at that point, I guess we had two kids, but one of our friends from both Berkeley and Connecticut had an older child who they had begun to homeschool through classical conversations, which is the co-op we currently use, and were telling us about how much they liked it. So we sit kind of in the back of our mind. And then when our oldest son went got went to or he was old enough to start going to kindergarten the following year, we were totally not on top of school districts or school options. We were like, what are we gonna do? It's gonna come up in the fall. And around that time, a number of things happened. My wife finished her training as a doctor, so she got a sort of full-time attending job. Uh, we moved to a new house, we ha- and we conceived our fourth child. At that point, my mother-in-law was watching the older three, and we were kind of like, she cannot handle <laughs> four kids, <laughs> on top of like driving our oldest to whatever school he goes to. So I thought to myself, I'll try staying home with the kids. And if I'm going to stay home, I'll just homeschool them because I'll be bored otherwise. I'm not going to sit around watching soap operas or something. <laughs> so I'll do something useful and I'll homeschool and we'll see how it goes. And that was, you know, gosh, six years ago. And I have just loved it. So that's that's our story. Very providential. That's awesome. You know, I was uh, grew up in New York and we had a great public school system as well. K through 12, did public school the whole time. And I was definitely hesitant as well. The only homeschoolers I knew when I was growing up were a little uh, like a cat with that knitted cap that you have on your blog, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think in general, like when, you know, in church, do you advise parents to do homeschooling these days? And if not, why not? If so, why so? I mean, I would say that if you can, you should be asking why wouldn't I, right? I just think it's such a great opportunity to spend with your kids um, the most formative years of their lives. 
to get to know them really well, to teach them. I mean, my kids are getting opportunities that I would have, I never had. I mean, I went to good schools with great programs for enrichment, but even then, I mean, I mean, again, okay, I, I am a bit of an outlier. I have a PhD in theoretical chemistry, and so I can provide them with a lot of education. I understand that you know a normal person without a PhD wouldn't be able to teach them advanced calculus, for example. But anyone can homeschool a kindergartner. That's the thing. People are like, oh, I could never teach. I could never homeschool. Like, do you know how to read? If you know how to read and you know how to count, you can homeschool at <laughs> least kindergarten through like third grade. So I would encourage people just to give it a shot. Um, and it, I've, like I said, I've gotten more and more comfortable with it. And I've enjoyed it more and more, I think, even as we've added kids to the mix. We, I'm now homeschooling all four, whereas originally it was just homeschooling the oldest one while I kind of babysat the other two or three. So and it's, it's like I said, it, as it gets older, as they get older, it becomes easier because they're more self-directed. I was going to say, do you think that the education system has gotten, you know, kind of so far off track, especially with, you know, the underlying uh, presuppositions that tend to run against Christianity? Does that play into it much for you? Is, or is that something you would say, no, the parents can actually correct that at home? Or what are your thoughts on, I guess, the, the educational side? And then this, secondly, on the sociological side, and, you know, the way they teach sex ed and just the culture of the schools these days, does that play into it at all? I mean, it could. I don't know enough about our school system, public school system, to know um, what they're being taught, frankly. I, I've certainly heard horror stories, but I've also heard very good stories. So one of my good friends here, his, he has three boys, and his kids go to a, um, a classical public school, and they love it, and their teachers have been Christians, just coincidentally. So I think that mitigates a lot of the more extreme elements of you might get uh, from other teachers. I think it just it depends on the school, depends on the teacher, depends on the curriculum they're using. So it just it just varies. But like I said, I think it, my reasons to homeschool were independent of that. I mean, we we yeah. did realize that okay, we'd be able to teach them about theology and about the Bible in school. We could talk about all of these subjects within a Christian context which you can't do in public school. So that's cool in and of itself. Even if you have a great school, you're not going to be able to get the kind of deep theology and uh, integration of these subjects into a Christian worldview that you would either at a Christian school or at a, at a home school. And then beyond that, again, you see your kids all day, which is, I think, great. You get to know them really well. Um, actually, before we uh, keep going into the tips that Brother Neil had, I asked my wife to comment because she does a lot of the uh, homeschooling here in the Robles household. Uh oh, we got a we got a special guest. We got a, spe a special guest questioner hopping in. Yes, we do, Brother Neil. You do uh, classical conversations, right? Yes. Okay, so you'll know what uh, my wife is about to announce. But this is my wife, Whitney Robles, and uh, our two oldest boys uh, accomplished something this past week. So our ten-year-old just completed his fourth memory master. Mm. And our seven-year-old just completed his first memory master, and uh, we had to do it wow. completely on our own because everybody is disbanded for the moment. And uh, so I pulled together people that had tutored before and asked them to proof my kids, and then uh, we kind of did the director proof ourselves. <laughs> and so they just finished that up. That's great. I I've never done a memory master, so that for people who don't know the CC model, um, you learn a certain amount of material over the course of twenty-four weeks. And then the memory master, the test is you have to recite all of it from start to finish. It takes about, eh, it depends how fast you go, but 
between 45 minutes at the shortest and maybe an hour and a half to two hours of material from memory, more or less perfectly. And, right. and so I, I can, you, do you want to recite a history sentence for us? Oh, well, I can, you, I can do it too. You got a prompt for me? Uh, this, this show, uh, yeah. Uh, tell me about um, the Hundred Years' War. During the Hundred Years' War. Don't no, you can't sing it. Can... You can't sing no? it. You got to sing it. <laughs> Whoa, why can't I sing it? <laughs> don't, don't show them the trick. Don't show them how you do it. Just, okay. just, just, just say it. All right. Let me see if I can do this because I've never memory mastered. I only test mine. <laughs> All right, so during the Hundred Years' War, Joan of Arc and King Charles VII led the French to defeat the English at the Siege of Orleans. During the late 1340s, fleas on rats carried the plague, which killed one out of three Europeans. Oh, good, and it's topical, too. Excellent. That's great. So that's one, so that's one history sentence, and there are 24 of those of similar length, and then there are seven subjects. So you're talking about, what is it, 168 facts that are all roughly that long. And they have to recite all of those from memory. And it's not, it's not, the other sentences are not quite as long. Like you have geography, you have to be able to right. name certain countries and things. But, it, but it's, it's a lot of material. So yeah, being a memory master is very impressive. So I'm going to ask my wife this question and then, Neil, if you could answer it too. But how has this current state of coronavirus affected for better or worse <laughs> the homeschooling atmosphere in the home and so i don't know whitney if you have any thoughts on that i've been developing thoughts over the <laughs> last couple of weeks initially i thought oh we're homeschoolers we're gonna keep doing what we normally do and then i realized cc was canceled and then i realized church was canceled and then i realized dance class was canceled for the boys and for the girl and history class was canceled and science was canceled and band was canceled so we had so many spheres of um social circles that were just obliterated all in like the same week. And so my kids are still emotionally adjusting to that. And uh, our day feels a lot different. We get a lot less done every day than we normally did and spend a lot of time emotionally correcting. Oh, I think it's great. I, I so I, this is going to be a bad commercial for, for CCS. So I apologize. It's not your fault. It's, it's not, it's not you, it's me, but I just love having my kids all to myself to teach them nothing but math and science. And so it's really good for me to have an, a, a homeschool co-op that sort of forces me to be honest and to teach them other things. But when I have my own my own way, then like, yes, we get to do like an hour, you know, of, uh, two, or an hour and a half, two hours of math every day. And uh, and so that's been I think it's been fine. The girls are very social. They like their friends. And so it's been a little bit hard for them. But I've been amazed to see how much that we have four kids. And so the girls play really well together and then the boys play together really well. And we also got a switch recently. So I've been letting them have a lot more video game time, um, which is, I, and that we'll get into the tips later, but I think especially during this, this sort of quarantine, that's fine. I mean, this is not going to be normal over the course of, you know, two or three years. So you can, you can kind of loosen up your standards a little bit when it comes to homeschooling in this extraordinary time. Neil, I need, I need you to state for the record, what is your limit on the switch in normal circumstances and then in quarantine? Yeah, so normally, we, so this is an interesting topic on its own. Um, when you know, I grew up in the 80s, and so we had this very strict rule about screen time because, you know, the screens will destroy your eyes and rot your brains. And then, and we kind of followed that with our kids. So when, when, um, when our kids were little, like two and three, we were very slow to let them watch any kind of television. We didn't have a television. We, we had a TV with just a DVD player. We never had cable. 
And we really limited their access to any kind of screens. We didn't have an iPad. And then I guess it was maybe four years ago, our third child, our daughter, um, we were homeschooling the older ones. And she was like, I guess, three or four. And I was just, I can't, I was like, I can't watch. We had, we had, uh, our youngest son was like, as one, one or two. And so he was a handful. I was like, I can't, I cannot homeschool the older two and then watch the baby and then also deal with our third, you know, three or four. So I just gave, I was like, look, you know, take the iPad and just play educational games. Just here you go. Just there you go. Just do anything you want. I, I can't, I can't do anything else. And then she gets to, you know, a year later and kind of out of the woods in terms of the, the youngest. And I start, okay, now it's time to start teaching you. I'm like, and she's like, oh, you can read already. How did you learn to read? And she's like, oh, I've been playing the iPad this whole time. So I was amazed how much she learned because we gave her educational games to play. So she learned all her numbers. She learned how to, you know, addition. She learned not how to read per se, but all of her letters, how to write her letters. And we let her watch educational shows like Wild Kratts and Magic School Bus. And, and brain pops, these are all these resources that are educational and they're also funny and fun. So when we, after we saw that, we said, okay, wait a minute, we have to rethink our approach to screen time. And so now we basically, it depends on what season we're in, but we basically let them play like an half an hour to an hour of entertainment we time every other day. And then we usually bend that and say, if they're if they if they do their work well, we say they can do that every day. They can have like a half an hour to an hour of, of entertainment screen time. But we give them basically unlimited educational screen time. So that includes things like writing emails to to their their relatives. We control their email accounts very carefully, but they write they love writing emails to their relatives. They um, they watch educational videos. They do educational apps. Um, and and that that we say go to town, and it's really worked out well for us. Does it? How old are your kids again? Let's see. So we have we have eleven, nine, eleven, nine, seven, and five. Yeah, right. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, we for entertainment we're we're kind of around there, and sometimes for us the challenge is other kids homeschooled or not sometimes get much more entertainment. Uh, time on devices and so it's always this comparison game i don't know if you experienced that where they're like well such and such can play uh, you know eight hours of uh fortnite or whatever and it's kind of that How, do you ever have to deal with that not really i think the other homeschooling parents tend to limit their screen time a lot to even this their friends in general whether they're homeschooled or not tend to limit their screen time but i mean no one's we know of it is admitting to letting their kids play eight hours of fortnite <laughs> at least so we never have to deal with that um and I think that in general, we have had some like, well, so-and-so is such and such. We always just say, well, that's their household, not not ours. And so when you're 18, you'll have to control your own devices and decide how much time you can allot to those entertainment things. But but while you're here, you'll follow our rules. And they've been pretty good about it. Like I said, we because we let them have time, and especially if they do their work well, we don't see much reason to prevent them from doing things they enjoy within reason. Well. You want Brother Neil to jump into some of his tips here? Y'all haven't y'all having such a good conversation. I'm just letting you flow, bro. Go ahead and hit it. Let's go for it. So uh, we're on your uh, blog post here. You got your cat with the knitted cap. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> tip number one is is make a schedule, and this is something that uh, we've experienced too. It can definitely help. So yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, this is huge because I learned a lot of these things through trial and error. So when my son was in kindergarten, I don't think I had a schedule. I just 
taught him for an hour while his sister was napping and that was it. And then as we got more and more kids entering the, you know, the educational pipeline, I, we realized quickly that a schedule is really important because there are a lot of reasons, but the big one is that kids like structure. We were told this again, 15 years ago by one of our other friends who was homeschooling their kids. And they just, they said, look, kids thrive. They want rules. They want structure. They don't, they, they think they don't, but when you give them structured rules, they flourish. And when you don't, they're miserable. And again, they don't, they don't know that consciously, but it's, I think, but in our experience, it's totally true. So with a schedule, one of the big benefits is you make a schedule, you show it to them, you know, at the beginning of the semester, you say, here's our schedule for the spring. And when they, when you give them the schedule, it's always hard at first. The first, I think, six months of having a schedule was hard because they're whining. I don't want to do this. But you can say, look at the schedule. The schedule says you have to do math right now. And they say, well, I don't want it. Ah! The schedule says, why are you make me? No, no, I'm not making you do math. The schedule's making you do math. <laughs> and so you can offload the authority of what we're doing at any moment to the schedule. And the, the good thing is, and this is a, a tactic we've taken with our kids in other areas too. We don't back down. We try to be careful about making rules and having you know things we're going to do. But once we say we're going to do something, we do it. And it's final. And it and if you break that pattern, if you let your kids talk you out of things, that's really hard because they'll always try to talk you out of things. They'll never say, <laughs> okay, this is this is actually what we're gonna do. They're always gonna try to negotiate. So instead, if you have the schedule, it's there on the wall and you always follow it. There's no, they realize quickly, there's no point in arguing because the schedule says it's not going to, schedule's not going to change what it says. It's always saying that thing. So that's important. And I see just recently, I've had friends ask me who are stuck homeschooling for the first time now. Oh, it's so hard. How do you do it? And I always say, make a schedule, put it on your wall. And they say, why do we have to do X? Can I do something else? Can I swap? Just the answer is no. Even if it's reasonable, say, can I swap math with English? Just say no, because the principle is important. The principle is we follow the schedule. Otherwise, you're going to be every half an hour, every single day for the next six months or whatever, month or you're going to be wrestling with, do I have to do it? Do I, can I swap? Can I change? Can I do something else instead? It's better to have a schedule. Now, do you recommend that? Can I use that for my wife as well? <laughs> it, well, it works for you, for people like me. I wish I had a schedule sometimes. I'm like, I wish I had just like, I could block off. I'm going to work on this from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Then I'll take a 30 minute break and I'll go back to this because it's easy to, you know, as adults, you're like, I'm going to go out, check out Twitter. Oh, it's, it's midnight, you know? Exactly. So I wish I had, you know, I, if I had a schedule myself, uh, my wife is really into sort of business consulting and, and managing and things like that. And she'll tell you the same thing. Yeah. If you have this structure, you also will flourish. So when do you know <laughs> when to flex that schedule or in what circumstances do you do something different like sickness, field trips, and do you do anything to kind of make up that time? Yeah. So we, so the simple answer for me is I, I'm a minimalist when it comes to anything optional. There are certain things that I want accomplished in their education. I want them to learn lots of math. I want them to be able to read and write really well. And that's basically all I really, really want from them until about high school. They can learn, and I'm a scientist, but I know they can learn science, you know, in college if they need to. But math is like a foreign language. Math, you learn early and you learn it, you learn it better if you learn it as early as possible. And so like any, like a language, like, like Spanish or like French. And so 
that and also computer programming to some extent are languages. And so I want them to have all of those building blocks early. And I mean, obviously, in languages like English, so writing and reading. But apart from that, if they want to go into history when they get to college, they're not going to be held back by the la- their lack of history in middle school, right? But they will be held back by a lack of math or a lack of writing skill or a lack of English grammar. So those are the core for me. And this is why CC is good for me, because they forced me to do things like history, geography, et cetera, which I would otherwise would ignore. Uh, so what I do then is if we have to flex, I'm like, okay, today, you know, one of our kids is sick. Oh, so-and-so wants to take you on a field trip. I don't do field trips personally, but maybe their aunt wants to take them out somewhere to, to the zoo. I say, you have to do the following things. You have to do your math, your writing, your reading, and we do Spanish. So do those, and the piano. Do those five things. It'll take you two and a half hours. It's a half an hour each. And then because it's a weird day, you can just take the rest of the day off and go to the zoo or go wherever. But, and then sometimes if the kids are sick, yeah, okay, you're sick, go lie in bed and read or play video games or, you know, whatever. Um, and the other thing I do is we don't have vacations. So we don't take any national holidays. My kids are like, Arbor Day? What? Columbus Day? It is? I don't know. They have no idea. Even even Christmas holidays, they're like, hey, it's Christmas time. All our friends are back or home from school. Like, how many days do we get off? I'm like, you get Christmas Day off. And I, I'm, that's not <laughs> true, but they, they don't expect two weeks of Christmas. They expect two days. My wife uh, had them work on Christmas Day, by the way. I just want to say that. Oh, for yeah. See, a woman after my own heart. Yeah. So <laughs> we don't. We, we, we usually give them, again, we usually give them a week or two off at Christmas, but we don't expect that. We tell them, you will work every day except for like the day before Christmas and Christmas Day. And then they're excited to find out, actually, daddy's let me have, let me have lots of free time. And then also that builds up a reserve. So that means that if they're always working on Columbus Day and Memorial Day and all these other holidays, then you have the flexibility to a random day say, oops, so-and-so sick or oops, you know, your grandmother wants to take you to a museum. Great. And just cancel homeschool because you've built up that reserve of I've already homeschooled them tons of the you know, most <laughs> 100 and well, you know, I've homeschooled them 250 days per year. And now I have plenty of time for them to do other things if I need to. Two questions. Do you take weekends off? And two, what math curriculum do you use? Yeah, so I had this plan to, to make them work on Saturdays, but it didn't work out. They, they, <laughs> they didn't want to do it. I was like, you'll get so far ahead. They're like, we don't want to. And also their friends are home from school. So I felt bad right. that, you know, if they were working on, and it's hard for on me too. I'm like, I don't want to deal with you on Saturday too. If I can help it. Um, so, and now that they're older, especially their friends come over on the weekends and play with them and they go to their friends' houses and yeah, we don't work Saturdays or Sundays. My wife was wondering what math curriculum you use. Yeah, we tried to use some, one of those weird ones like Singapore, I forget Saxon, I, one of those other ones. And I was like, this is, this is terrible. Whatever it was, it was just terrible and boring. And so I think it was in, when our son was in first grade or oldest, we switched to using Khan Academy. Khan Academy is a, totally free it's uh it's interactive you take basically you take quizzes online and you you learn skills and it's phenomenally good it's great the only thing it doesn't really do is it doesn't i don't think it teaches the kids that well they have videos and, and things that they you can watch to teach your kids my kids don't like them but i use it what i use it to do is to keep me on track so they take these quizzes that are like you know starting with it counting and then addition and subtraction whatever and they'll take you all the way from pre-K math 
up through college math, you, and you can do physics, and I think English, and there are a bunch of subjects, but it's really heavy on the math. And I have them take the quizzes, and then when they get to a quiz, they're like, what is this? What's a cosine? I stop them, and then I teach them the, the math they need to know, and go back to the quiz and do it. So I use it to keep me on pace, and then to give them practice. But we've, we, we love it. Khan Academy is phenomenally good. And like I said, the only downside is that you ha- they won't teach your kids for you. You have to teach them the concepts. It'll help you with videos. But as, as a way to keep a good pace going and to f- make sure there are no holes in the kids' education, it's phenomenal. I think when our, when our oldest was like in third grade, I'd been teaching him by myself before I discovered Khan Academy. And at some point I was like, he was like, what time is it? And I said, look at the clock. It's 1.30. He's like, What's it says one thirty on the clock? I'm like, oh, I didn't teach you at every o'clock. So, because <laughs> I, I I had no curriculum, so I was just teaching him math, which I can do easily. But I, you know, I don't keep track of like, oh, can you count money? What's a quarter? What's a dime? I, I'd forgotten what he knew and what he didn't know. Whereas Khan Academy is great because it keeps you on pace. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move through some of your other tips in creating a schedule. You give the tip of staggering subjects. Tell us what that means. Yeah, it's it's entirely or almost entirely, I think for people with more than one kid. If you have one kid, this is not really relevant, but when you stagger subjects, what I mean is don't have all two or three or four or eight, whatever kids you have, don't have them all doing math at the same time. Because like in our household, we have a fifth grader, a third grader, a first grader, and a pre-K you know, child. And so we can't do like math at 7.30 because what's the math lesson for the preschooler and the math lesson for the fifth grader are totally different. And even the other things like anything, English, Spanish, you know, grammar, writing, all those subjects, they're, they're going to be at such different levels that it doesn't, doesn't help you at all. In fact, it, would, it actually would have hurt my lesson planning or, or my, my teaching to try to make a lesson engaging for a five-year-old and an 11-year-old. It would be completely impossible. So instead, we, what I have is I try to have, like I look at my sector right now, at 7.30 a.m. is when our school day starts. The oldest kid is in Khan Academy, which requires a lot of hands-on, like teaching him, you know, how, okay, this is new math. Here's what a tangent is. Here's what a cosine is, and explaining it to him. The third grader is in is doing typing, which is literally put her on a computer, and she's learning how to touch type using a, a computer program that's free. It's called Typing Club. The first grader is working on a worksheet that I print out for her in the morning. It's like a math worksheet for just review. And then the preschooler is doing his worksheet and also like learning how to write his letters. But so basically the the oldest kid is doing something that's very teacher intensive, not to be hovering over him. The third, first, and preschooler are doing things that are less intensive. Then they rotate. And so then, then the next block, the third grader is doing the math, and the other three are doing hands-off things. And then, so I keep it rotating. So there's always one kid who's going to need a lot of help, and the other three are doing things that are more hands-off. Um, I'm still there in case they need help, but I'm not like hovering over them and, and pointing out what they need to do. So yeah, just just stagger the subject. So I, the way if you look at my schedule on my website, you can find it there. You'll see that the whole day is laid out like that, except for certain things where they can do it all together. So for example, I have a block for half an hour. They do their CC memory work, which they basically have to memorize all these different facts that we you know you just heard um, Whitney recite. But they can do that together. You know, the eleven year old and the five year old are all repeating the same facts because CC designs their curriculum that way. Or they have a block for oh gym class. So we, when it's nice weather, we all go outside and I make them run laps basically. And so they all, they all do that. So the the fifth grader runs more and faster than the than the than the five year old. 
but they all do it. So yeah. there are some things that do synergize well, but other things don't. And so the, the key is to uh, mix your schedule up so that you can get overlap when it works and when it doesn't work to stagger the subjects. Now, Brother Neil, I see a serious problem on the schedule. Your first block of time says 7.30 a.m. I'm not sure that's of the Lord. Yes. You can shift that. You can shift that if you want to. So, and actually, one problem, one of my friends actually just emailed me and uh, or messaged me and said, like, her kids, like, the schedule is fine, but, like, what do you do between, like, three and five when you're trying to, like, cook dinner or something and your kids are just screaming at each other? And so you can, yeah, one thing I would say, I said to her, well, you know, just let them play video games while you cook dinner. Or it's not, you don't have to entertain them the whole day. Use judicious screen time when you have to be cooking or something extend the schedule if, if they are fighting say okay we just add two more hours to the schedule and just give them things to do and it can be it doesn't have to be work it can be like okay now i want you to go to your room and play with your dolls and i want you to go and play you know play dom play i don't know build build a castle with your blocks whatever you want but it's, it's on a schedule and so they can't say well i don't want no the schedule says do it go do it <laughs> and then tell them that if you play nicely Maybe I'll let you, again, not have, you can skip this block, but it, it, it allows you to point to something else besides you and say, that is the authority. We're, we're doing what the schedule says. Um, and yeah, but you can shift it. I mean, other people start at nine. The schedule goes from 7.30 to three. If you look at my website, yeah. that's aspirational. We, <laughs> we, we start at 7.30 because it, the morning time I found that the kids are freshest in the morning. So they, they do a lot better in the early morning. We usually end more or less around two or two thirty. The last few blocks, I'm kind of like, yeah, you're doing fine. You're, it's fine. But but the good thing is that if they're not working hard, I'm like, look, the schedule says work, you work. So I have that leeway to say officially you are on the clock until three or three thirty. Uh, but in reality, yeah, it's more like two or two thirty. We finish. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Neil, as we're wrapping up this episode, kind of next five minutes or so. What for, especially for the. Um, parents now that are that are stuck in the shelter and home what are a couple of those tips you would say or that we haven't talked about already that would be ones that you would want to mention that are important sure we talked about electronics so and feel free i give a bunch of um apps and and, and websites and things in in my article like Khan academy you know prodigy it's a good math game brain pop typing club there are a lot of great websites Use them liberally, especially if you're doing this short notice, you know, for a season because your kids are you know, out of school. But I, I don't let them play Fortnite for eight hours, but but give them these other programs that are educational. They will actually enjoy it, certainly for like, you know, a few weeks to a month um, to do that. Uh, assign books. I think it's very helpful if the kids are older. Tell them what to read. Don't let them read, you know, Captain Underpants, uh, you know, a hundred times. <laughs> Say, OK, here's. I, we forced our son to re forced him. He was a great reader, but he would not read new things. He would read the same book literally 20 times. So we'd say, you have to read this book. You have to read Chronicle of Narnia. You have to read, um, see, you have to read uh, Sherlock Holmes. We made him read uh, the entire collected works of Sherlock Holmes. He loved it. But we had to make him do it, but he loved it in the end. And then I guess the last one is a bit important one is this to enjoy your kids. I, I mean, I do see not a lot, but I see some people kind of complaining about, ah, oh, these kids are they're driving me crazy. You, you won't think that in 20, you know, 10 years. When your kids are out of the house in college, I think you'll miss having just them around the house. But I think this time is time you can spend with them, enjoying them. I, I, I get that if you're working from home, it can be very challenging. If, I, if you have to pick whether to educate your children or to enjoy them, 
I'd pick to enjoy them. In other words, <laughs> ease off the work and spend time just doing fun things with them in that time. Because if you're yelling at them the entire time they're home, I think you'll regret it in the long run. It's more healthy for you to have a good relationship with your kids than to have them you know, know lots of math and science and stuff. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for all those tips, Brother Neil. And uh, we'll link to the article. And then you also have links to Khan Academy, Prodigy, Brain Pop, Typing Club, and a bunch of other apps uh, for homeschoolers. And so we'll link to all those in the show notes. I don't know if you have a final word, Brother Neil, about uh, someone maybe considering homeschooling but is still unsure about it. Maybe a final encouragement. Yeah, like I said, I think that if you can homeschool your kids, I would I would do it, especially if you are um, a mom or dad who is planning on staying at home with the kids, but you're like, yeah, but I want to have to homeschool them. You should think about it. You really should. Uh, I think that it, it is, it's hard, sort of, but I have found r- remarkably that I don't find it that hard, to be honest, to just be honest. I think part of it is because you can read my other article on sort of a longer article on homeschooling in general. Take a, a good enough approach. Figure out what's important to you for their education. For me, it's you know math, reading, and writing, and then obviously you know theology. I think mean, learning who they are as, as building their characters, learning teaching them to love God and to love other people. For me, that's the core. And then everything else. Don't drive yourself crazy trying to give them like a Martha Stewart. Southern home, you know, better homes and gardens lifestyle experience. Don't craft. You don't want to do crafts. Don't craft. You don't want to do field trips. Don't go on field trips. Pick what's important to you and let the other things go. I think that for a lot of people, I think the reason that they're so burned out from homeschooling, they try to do things they see other people doing that are not ultimately that important. So figure out what's important for you. Like I said, for me, it's loving God, loving other people, and then this core curriculum of uh, math, reading, and writing, and then other things you can that you can put in and take out as needed. All right. Well, thanks, brother Neil. We'll put all the links and show notes where you also can follow Neil. He's uh, killing it on Twitter. He's always commenting and replying and uh, getting into great discussions. We'll say over there on Twitter and on his website, shenviapologetics.com. Thanks again, Neil. 